I, I want to, uh, before I read the text, I want to introduce it by uh, a few words. Um, maybe two or three months ago now, I came across a, a book that uh, the Lord used to do what I think was significant surgery in my own life. Um, and through this particular passage of Scripture, um, and I think the Lord is still doing the surgery. <laughs> it seems like that, that often happened, doesn't it? Where the cutting begins and you, you think it's over, but perhaps it continues on. I think the Lord is continuing to cut away. And honestly, I hope that He continues and that I will be very careful not to harden my own heart against that, that kind of work. I say that simply because it would be an easy thing for a pastor to come into a different church and act like he's correcting everybody. I'm not doing that. I'm simply presenting to you some beautiful things that God really has done in my own life uh, that were spiritually surgical. And uh, so I want to set things up in that way um, as well. Um, Let's read the passage together. I I have a New King James version of the Bible, so if we're off just a word or two, um, I still think you're going to be able to follow this, uh, whether you're looking at the ESV or another version as well. This is God's Word. Remember, His Word is inspired. As a result of His inspiration, it is inerrant. So we're not looking for the truth. Everywhere our eye falls, it falls on the truth. And so we can trust it and take it to heart and find refreshment for our souls. Verse 12 of Hebrews 3 reads this way, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the Word of our God abides forever and ever. Pray with me. God, we thank You so much for who You are. And we're thankful for surgery. We recognize that, uh, quite frankly, we need it regularly. And uh, it's not always pleasant. Uh, But, oh, Father, how needful it is. And we pray that through uh, the word read and the word preached today, you would uh, cut away that which is dead um, and bring us to new life, that you would bring revival in our own hearts. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see your truth. Conform us to the image of Christ, for we pray in his name. Amen. Well, I want to preface my first illustration uh, with a disclaimer, and that is that I'm not really a runner, but I'm going to tell you about two races that I once uh, ran. I'm not really a runner. Years ago, I used to run a fair amount. Um, And maybe about 10 years ago, my son and I uh, decided we were going to run the Cooper River Bridge race. Some of you have run that or walked that or been there. It's a lot of fun to go. And 10 years ago, they were just up to about 25,000 people who were running, I think now they're up to 40,000 people who are going across the bridge. I remember getting ready for uh, this particular race. It was my uh, goal to begin to you know, run a mile and increase that to two miles and go to three and four and finally begin to run some races that were significantly longer than the bridge race. That never happened. I wasn't in the best of shape uh, for this particular race. And uh, we got there, and I'd never run it before. I knew there would be a gigantic crowd, but if you've ever been, you know that it's just massive. It's just huge, and I'll never forget, it took us seven minutes to cross the starting line. And uh, when we did, the announcer said, hey, the Kenyans are, have just finished, <laughs> being funny, uh, but just a, a gigantic crowd. And you could never, you were never out of an arm's reach from anybody the entire race. 
And uh, I can remember you run through Mount Pleasant, you run over the river, the Cooper River Bridge, and uh, finally you come into Charleston. And uh, it's a couple of miles in town there. And the streets are now lined with people. And they're cheering. They're just having fun on the side of the road. They don't know who you are. They're just cheering. And uh, you get all this encouragement as you come into town. People are just thrilled that you're there, I guess. I don't know what the deal is, but just encouraging you on um, every front. Um, There was another race that I ran. It was just a couple of years after that. uh, And it was the Reedy River race, which is held in Greenville. Um, Maybe a thousand people run that race. And uh, this was another race that I'd hoped to prepare for a little better and still was not all that prepared. And I didn't feel particularly well this day. And I can remember I was in the end of the race about four miles or so. And I'm on Lawrence Road, if you've ever been down Lawrence Road in Greenville. And uh, at this particular spot, the, the traffic on one side of the road was stopped. There was a, it was cordoned off. And then there was traffic that was moving on the other side of the road. And I remember I came up to a a traffic light, and uh, there were people who were stopped there waiting for the light to turn green. And right as I went by them, I heard somebody yell out the window, You're not running! (laughs) Now, I must have been just so dragging, just merely walking. um, And they were uh, exhorting me, weren't they? Um, just a, 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 and I thought, well, maybe I do need to run a little faster. <laughs> well, those two situations remind me of this passage of scripture in the the idea of an exhortation being needed in our lives. The scripture here reminds us that we are to exhort one another daily. And you know, sometimes it's the exhortation of a giant crowd that's there and saying, look, you're doing great, you're close to the finish line, press on, you're doing great. And sometimes it's the exhortation of somebody that says, look, you're not running, <laughs> you need to pick up the pace here. But it's a, it is an aspect of Christian living that, um, I, I, I'll just be honest with you, is rare in our lives that we have that kind of voice speaking into our life on a daily basis. Let's look at the text. We'll make more sense of this as we uh, begin to work through it. I want you to notice here as we begin that really the passage breaks down in two pieces. It breaks down in the sense of a warning and a calling. First of all is this warning. Notice that the verse begins, Beware, brethren. Now notice, first of all, that it is, uh, it is speaking to believers, or at least to professed believers. We know that the book of Hebrews is written to a group of people who were being tempted to go back. They, they, they had been called to trust Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, but they were tempted to go back and to embrace works of the law in order to be saved. And so these were at least professed believers. But what's interesting is, is what this verse actually says. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. In other words, I don't think we often think about the fact that a believer could have an evil, unbelieving heart. I mean, that's not the first thing that jumps to our mind, is it? But we do struggle with that, don't we? From time to time, a heart that is um, not believing really trusting here. Brethren, God is clearly speaking to um, believers here. But the warning here, the, the, the call to take care or to see to it, lest there be in any of you this unbelieving heart. Now, 
our author here is not talking about a heart that says, you know what, people say that Jesus died on a Roman cross and He died to atone for the sins of His people. I don't believe that anymore. That's not the kind of unbelief we're talking about. Well, rather, it's talking about an unbelief of people who would say, you know what, I'm just not sure God can be trusted. I'm not really sure that God can be relied upon in the details of my life. That's the nature of the unbelief that's being laid um, before us, a mistrust of God, a concluding that at the end of the day that God um, cannot be taken to the bank, if you will. Think about this, though. This, it's described as an evil, unbelieving heart, or an evil heart of unbelief, depending on what version you have. Why is this so evil? Why is it evil to not really trust the Lord? And that's, a, that's a, a question that is easily answered because the thing that makes it so e- evil is because God is so trustworthy and that He's never let us down. He's made all these promises. He has always been totally uh, reliable, but there are those times when we, in our evil hearts, sort of back up and say, I just don't know. I just don't know where God is in all of this. I just don't know what He's doing. I just don't know if He is in fact working for my good and ultimately for His glory. Lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief departing from the living God. What does that mean, departing from the living God? Well, there's sort of a progress here, isn't there? There's the warning. There's the warning of developing a heart that's evil and unbelieving that leads to a departing from the living God. Believers departing from the living God. In what way? I think what happens when the believer departs from the living God is you begin to live a life that only tips uh, the hat at God and His work in your life. It only only seems to say, yeah, I know God is there, but... But if I were totally honest and open with you, the reality of Him working in my life is is really not there. Oh, I'm in church. I might even read my Bible from time to time. And yeah, I throw up a prayer every now and then. But for the most part, the departure is like this. God and I are living lives on parallel tracks and the tracks never come together. Yes, are you a Christian? Sure, of course I am. But without that interaction where we are depending upon a God and we find Him as totally reliable and totally trustworthy. Well, I said the passage divides in half between a warning and a calling. And really in verse 13, we begin to look at um, this calling. And the calling here is to exhort one another. Look what it says. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of of sin. Exhort is from the, the word in the Greek language parakaleo. Kaleo means to call to, or it has an aspect to it where it is to it is to um, to help. Para, the uh, the the word that's attached to the front end of that simply says means around or it literally means to come alongside and help. Hence the paraclete that we so often hear about in reference to either the Holy Spirit or to the Lord Jesus. But we are to parakaleo one another. We are to come alongside and to give help. There's a sense in which those people in the streets of Charleston 
came alongside and helped me. There's a sense in which that person in the car on Lawrence Road helped me even to say, look, you're not running. There was that exhortation ultimately that was given. But notice what the passage says. It says to exhort one another daily while it is called today. Why does it say that? Well, if we had read the the full context of Hebrews chapter 3, we would have found that um, verses 9 through 11 are uh, a reference to Psalm 95. And Psalm 95 refers to Moses' day and to an exhortation of doing things that particular day. If you look at verse 9 there uh, in your Bibles, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion in the days of the trial in the wilderness. Um, the exhortation here is that, um, or the call here is that we exhort one another every day. Every day we ought to exhort and be exhorted. Um, Behind this certainly is the call to be exposed to the word preached and to the word read, but it is also to believers speaking to one another on a daily basis um, and really getting down to brass tacks. I'm from the South. I grew up in the South. I'm a Southerner. And we are good about saying, how are you doing? And the response is, and you know what? Fine can mean a lot of things, can it? Fine can mean I'm really doing okay. I'm doing doing well. Fine can mean um, uh, don't ask me anything else. You ever said fine and that's what it meant? I, in other words, uh, things are rough. Things are difficult. I'm hurting. I'm I'm a mess. I'm spiritually spread out all over the road. But don't ask anymore. Fine can mean that too. (laughs) And what we're called to do is to have this exhortation to exhort one another and to be able to relate to one another on a heart-to-heart level. Uh, I'll tell you this. Pastors are the best at this, hey, how you doing, fine thing. They're the best at at being able to live in the dark. I'll just be honest with you. Because here's the deal. Folks look at pastors and they say, well, he's supposed to have his act together. I'm not even going to ask him how he's really doing. Um, And another thing pastors will do is sometimes you'll say, hey, how you doing? I'm fine. And then if, if you press that, they might be inclined to sprinkle a little theological fairy dust. In other words, I don't necessarily want to say, fine, don't ask me anything else, but I can just throw a little uh, dust out there and hopefully you'll go away and stop asking. But here's the deal, for all of us, pastor or not, is we have an inclination to step out of the light and to stand in the shadow with, with the things that are going on in life and, and, and to hide. And it's this call to exhortation that brings us back out into the light. Now, what happens if we don't exhort one another daily? Look back at the passage in verse 13. It says, but exhort one another daily while it is called today. The other option is, lest you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. 
Now remember we're talking about believers, and I would hope as soon as we read this, that reading about the hardening of a heart would strike fear in your heart. That that would cause you some worry. To say, wow, here's the writer of Hebrews writing to believers about the hardening of their heart through the deceitfulness of sin. Wow, is this going on in my life? Could this in fact be going on in my life? And it is so easy for this kind of thing to happen, isn't it? For a subtle hardening to take place. I have a friend, he's a, he's a cardi, cardiothoracic surgeon. And I was asking him in light of this message uh, some time ago, I said, you know, we often talk about the hardening of the arteries in a human body. Um, I said, I've always heard that plaque that builds up in uh, heart vessels. It's like toothpaste. I said, but we talk about it hardening. How hard will it get? And he wrote me back and he said, you know, it'll get as hard as a rock. It will actually calcify. And I said, you know, what, a, what an apt description. We said, you know, this person has the hardening of the arteries. What an apt description of our spiritual state as well when we step out of the light and we step back in the darkness because we don't want to reveal who we actually uh, are here. When I was a kid, I had a friend who had a, a little uh, fiberglass boat. It was a Hobie Cat, 16, you know, the, the two hulls that were there. And I think a car had backed into it one time when it was on a trailer and had a big hole that was knocked in it. And maybe you've worked with fiberglass and patching uh, fiberglass. Um, I had never done this before. And what you do is you have a fiberglass mat, which is almost the consistency of paper, and you put it over the hole that you're going to patch. And then you mix these two substances. uh, And one is some sort of resin, and the other is simply called a hardener. And as long as you keep them apart, you can work with that resin. But when you put them together, you have about 60 seconds to do what you're going to do because it is going to become hard. And it will become so hard that it can ultimately be sanded and painted, hence the work with, with fiberglass. But I'll never forget that if, if you worked with that and you had just like a little meringue whip, a little point to that resin that, that was mixed with the hardener, that thing would be so hard and it would be so sharp that if you ran your hands over it, it would cut you. You know, it is an easy thing for this kind of hardening to happen in our lives unless, unless there is this exhortation in our lives and on a daily basis. Let's look back at the text for one more point. Here in verse 13, it says, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Guys, this is the thing we must be most wary of, the deceitfulness of sin. You see, sin doesn't come up and say to you, you know what, here's the first temptation that you've had in this particular area, um, and I'm sin. Um, and sin doesn't come up and say, you know what, I want to destroy your life. I want to destroy your marriage. I want you to lose your job. I want you to destroy your health through whatever sin this is. It doesn't say that, does it? Sin comes up the first time and says, what is up? Let's be friends. Yes? Come on in. This is all good. And it comes in low-balling cost. And it highballs all the fun we're going to have. That's the, that's the sales pitch that's there every time we meet with a sin, yes? And you know how this works. 
is that it comes in deceitfully. And this is what's so frightening because it is selling with all its work. Let me give you some examples of this. The sales pitch is this. Uh, you turn on the computer and there is something that is a little alluring. And we say, it's not going to hurt. We take a step down and all of a sudden we're full-blown into pornography. And we are telling ourselves these lies, the deceitfulness of sin. And we're saying, it's not hurting anybody. It's just a picture. Um, that person who comes to an adulterous relationship and they're there, they're telling themselves the lie. At the end of the day, God wants me happy and He knows I'm miserable in my marriage. The deceitfulness of sin that's, that's there. I'm not perfect, don't get me wrong, but I do take care of my family. I cut my neighbor's grass, the widow lady's grass, and you're not going to ding me for a little... And you fill in the blank, whatever that sin is. But don't miss this fact, friends, and that is that the person who is being hardened by sin rarely knows it. This is what's so frightening. This is why we have to pray, Lord, search me and know me and see if there's any secret sin that's ultimately there. The person who is being hardened rarely knows it. I had a, a friend, he's a pastor uh, over in Greenville in his early 50s and had a heart attack. Uh, not particularly overweight, you know, in decent shape. And... Uh, had no idea, other than he had a horrible genetic history of uh, uh, vascular problems, but he had no idea this was happening in his life. And slowly, we could imagine those vessels in his heart just slowly filling with plaque until finally he had such pain that he went to the hospital and had to have a, a, a stand. He's doing great today, by the way. But we don't know it. That person being hardened by sin rarely knows it there. All right, so let me make a couple of points of application as we wrap up here. The first thing is I want you to note the, in the warning the progression of sin, the progression in this passage. I think that that's important that the author of Hebrews is trying to get us to say. We, we have this, this heart that's um, it, it, it's an evil, unbelieving heart that causes us to take a step down the staircase to departing from the living God, the disobedience and, and the sin and, and the deceitfulness of sin, which takes us down to another step where our hearts are hardened. Imagine being in a situation to where um, you can't repent. I don't know that we can ever get there due to the grace and the power of God, but imagine being so close that repentance is very difficult. You know, repentance is hard enough as it is, but imagine just hardening your heart and saying, no, Lord, no, no, no. And finally, you've built up such a callus that he says, okay. Isn't that frightening? But notice the progression that's ultimately here. Let me remind us all of what we all, all know, and that is that we live in a, a, a world where the stream is flowing against us all the time, isn't it? It's a downstream world. The world, the flesh, and the devil is always working against us. As a kid, I used to play in a river up in North Carolina, and uh, the river would flow about thigh deep. 
and it was the kind of situation where if you if you picked one foot up off the ground, it was the river wanted to sweep you downstream. And so there was always a great challenge to make progress up, up the stream, and there were always contests to, to be able to do that. And that's kind of how our lives are. The world and the flesh and the devil is trying to sweep us down, and we have to be aware of this and be warned of this progression, this constant progression of sin. There's a second thing I want you to see by way of application, and that's, that's this. And that is that we are, in fact, called to exhort one another. Let me ask you a question just straight up. How many people do you have in your life who will come to you and say, hey, how are you doing? And when you say fine, they say, yeah, 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 right, okay. But let's get beyond that <laughs> and let's talk about how things are really going in your spiritual life. How many people do you have in your life who can do that and who will do that? Let me ask a, an, an associated question, and that's this. How many, how many people do you let do that in your life? Because it's so easy, just like any pastor, is to say, I'm in the light and there's some things I really don't want people to see. Let me step over here in the shadow. You see, the call here is that we are daily exhorting one another. Um, here's what's going on. When we struggle with um, with things in our life, when we, when we commit a sin and our, our conscience is activated, we have two choices, right? One is, is that we confess our sin and we run to Christ and we bask in His mercies of forgiveness. We sang about that this morning. That's such a glorious uh, thing. That's one option. The other option is, is we begin to invoke full-on self-defense and rationalization of, uh, of our sin. And we atone for ourselves. And we begin to tell ourselves certain things in order to make this sin more livable. And the whole time, our hearts are being hardened. And sin is showing itself to, in fact, be deceitful. Sin swindles. And guess who sin swindles first? My sin swindles me. First, and your sin swindles you first yes we are all very good swindlers self swindlers uh, when it comes to um, our sin um, imagine going home from I don't know going home from uh, a small group meeting and uh, and talking about the the, the off-the-wall prayer request that was shared by this brother or that sister. And we just gossip. But what we do is, is we say, we just fellowship. And God calling us to uh, have folk in our life who can uh, exhort us and will um, exhort us as well. You see, the only remedy, the only hope for us, of course, is Christ. But as we live together is this daily exhortation. I, I think it's so interesting that the author of Hebrews includes this daily concept twice. Exhort one another daily while it is called today. Why don't we do this? Why don't we have those? Why, why do we say, how are you doing? Fine, which means don't ask me any more questions. Why do we do that? 
we do it for a lot of reasons. One is, is we don't believe that this kind of exhortation will really work. Or we don't believe that I can really trust this person. Or even worse is, is I really don't want to tell you who I really am and who I'm really struggling with because I, don't, I won't think you're, you, you'll, uh, you'll really respect me or love me or think I'm nearly as cool as you did before when you didn't know everything about me. And so here we sit and we stand in the dark. And what happens to our lives when we depart from the living God? What, what an astounding statement. And our hearts are hardened. And that hardener gets put in the resin. And all of a sudden it's just like calcified. A heart that won't hear. And what the writer of, of Hebrews is saying is, is here's the remedy is people to daily exhort us. People to daily call us. And this call to step out of the darkness and to step into the light. I'll, I'll close with this. My, um, I have two older children and uh, they were both at Clemson this past year. And uh, one left uh, an apartment complex and just a few days later the other one moved into the same apartment complex. Not the same apartment, mind you. Wish it had been. Um, but one of my children lived on an apartment that was on the back of one of the apartment buildings. And um, the, when you looked out the windows of the den, just 20 feet out there was a large bank. And it, the bank went straight up. There was nothing. You were looking at pine straw. And at the top of them were these big pine trees. And so the apartment was very dark. As well, this apartment had a small leak in the uh, closet with the, uh, the water heater. And I, I, it wasn't found until they were moving out. At least I, I was not aware of it until they were moving out. So it was just kind of damp. You, you've been in a place like this, just sort of a... It was on the first floor, very dark, not a lot of light coming in, and just kind of dank and damp. Interestingly, my other child moved into the same complex but the building next door. And his apartment was on the front of the building. And his windows were open to the parking lot. And the sun just streamed in. And it was light and, and very uh, uh, airy. It smelled good. Um, and it was a, a, a totally different place, though these two apartments were nearly right next to one another. And you know, I, I came away from that. I, I had been reading this book that had uh, pressed my own heart so, and I said, you know what, that's a perfect situation. There are so many times when I live in a dark apartment with a leak in it, and it's smelling kind of mildewy in here, spiritually. And then there are those times when we are in the light, and there's Jesus there. And there's help there. And there's grace for us. And the ability to say, you know what, you're my brother in Christ and I need you. I need you to come into my life and to speak to the issues that are there. And I commit to you that I will be open and honest as we seek to obey God's Word to find help 
against the deceitfulness of sin that brings a hardened heart. I hope that you'll go home. I hope that you'll think about this. And I hope that you'll say, do I have this person or these people in my life? Are there people who have access to my own heart? And if they're not, that you'll seek them out. That you won't let this kind of go away. Because this is an easy sermon to say, man, I know what you're talking about, but I really don't want to go there and it's going to require a ton of work. We could easily do that. Or we could go home and say, Jesus, this is your word, and I hear the exhortation. I hear the warning, and I hear the remedy. And the remedy is this exhortation. God, would you help me to be this person? And it might just be the addition of one person. It might be, over the course of the next year, the addition of four or five people who could have this kind of conversation in your life, and you and theirs, to say, for the love of Christ, for the glory of my Savior, might we have this daily exhortation together. Let's pray together, shall we? Father, these are, um, these are hard. And it's even more difficult to um, hear these words and then to go home and to respond to them uh, after one hearing. But I pray for my brothers and sisters. I pray that you would take notes in their heart. That you would inscribe upon uh, their heart these truths. And that there will be uh, a victorious approach to these passages and to these concepts. And that as a result, there would be no one who would be living uh, in the dark, would be purposefully pursuing um, being closed off from the exhortations of others. Father, we uh, have never really plumbed the depths of what real fellowship is like. We pray that we might find out what it means to give and take at the level of the soul about the person of Jesus. We pray that He would be real um, in our lives. Father, work in us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.